Well, let's see. It's two weeks into the new year. Let's, you know, how many of you made resolutions? Okay, you have up, up on the screens. Uh, these are some of the uh, resolutions that usually people make. So, did you make any of those resolutions, you know, this year? How are you doing on those resolutions that you made? You know, I was at the gym, I go to work out at the gym, and I've done that for years, and, you know, come January 2nd, you can hardly get a parking spot, okay? It's just packed. I mean, everybody's there. Everybody's there. About two weeks later, what happens? No one's there. Resolutions. Oh, we, we mean to do well, right? Why do we want to do it? Uh, make our life better get healthier, lose weight, get a better job. I mean, look at all those different ones. What is it about resolutions? I I thought about that, especially as we today, this weekend, look at the significance of Jesus' baptism and thereby our own baptism. What is a resolution? In a way, it's wanting to start over again, isn't it? New year comes, that clock ticks by, and It's sort of like the whole year can be a blank slate. But our problem is we know it what? It isn't a blank slate. We carry into the new year (laughs) many of the things that have happened to us in the old year, and sometimes we just can't seem to escape. So what if you could really start over? Think about that for a moment. What if you could actually start over? What if you could rewind the clock for a moment? I'm sure that every one of us here, if we could do that, if we could go back to something, we would not do something that we did. We would not say something that we said. Maybe do things totally different. Who knows? What I find interesting is that Mark begins his gospel. Mark is the shortest gospel in the New Testament. And his gospel is the most abrupt, okay? It, it, it goes like this. The top one is from the beginning of the gospel of Mark. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how his gospel begins. He doesn't, like Matthew, he goes into this big genealogy, talks about how Jesus, and you know, with Joseph, and has the birth, and Herod, and all of that. Luke has the wonderful, beautiful Gospels that we heard at Christmas time and, and the Annunciation to Mary that she's going to be the mother of Emmanuel and all of that. John begins his Gospel with a theological treatise on what and who is Jesus? He's the Word become flesh. Mark, he jumps right into the pot. And says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Just so you understand the word gospel, we use that a lot. In the Greek, it's euangelion. And uh, that was a term used for a herald who would stand in the marketplace and announce some good news. Okay? And so the, the literal translation of euangelion is good news. We get gospel because in Old English which comes from Saxon roots, it's Gottspiel, good talk, okay? So he says, in the beginning, this is the great news 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, when you look at the construction of that, you're immediately, if you know anything about the Bible, and I have the text there, the very first book of the, of the Old Testament is Genesis, and it begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mark very intentionally begins his gospel like the beginning of Genesis. Because what he wants us to understand is what he is writing to us changes everything. That here is the new Genesis. You are going to read the new Genesis account. Everything is beginning new again in Jesus Christ Christ meaning Messiah, the long-awaited one, who is the Son of God. The one who has come into the world. Now, as his gospel, the next, the next few sentences that goes on, we're introduced. The reader is introduced with the prophet Isaiah, the voice crying in the wilderness. And who is that voice? It is John the Baptist. And he is out there in the desert baptizing people. He's calling people to repentance, and people are coming. We're told that all Jerusalem and Judea were were streaming to hear this preacher who really looked like an Old Testament prophet. I mean, he wore camel skin around his waist. His diet was grasshoppers and wild honey. I mean, can you imagine that? And people went out from all over. So this was not some guy that was posh. He didn't have nice robes, okay? Uh, He looked like somebody who was supposed to be out in the desert. And they were listening to him. And he had an astounding, he had something astounding to tell people. He was asking the people of God, the children of Israel, to confess their sins and go into the the waters of, of the Jordan to take a bath. We call it baptizing. And preparing them to meet God, who's coming in judgment. Now, again, we listen to those words. It's okay. No, you have to understand how provocative that was. You know who baptized? Jews did baptize, but you know who they baptized? Gentiles who were converting. And baptism, the rabbis taught that a Gentile who was converting had to be baptized because, see, where did the Jews... They escaped from the land of slavery into a land of freedom. They began their wanderings, but what did they have to go through? The what? The Red Sea. They had to go through the water. And so what the rabbi said is that Gentiles have to undergo that same thing. They have to go through the water. Well, here is John telling the people of God who are already God's special people, you've got to prepare for God's coming. You've got to come down into these waters. You've got to take that bath. You've got to confess your sins. Sins and this holy bath that John were proclaiming were together. But he also said something else. I'm baptizing you with water. There's somebody mightier than I who is coming. I'm not even worthy to be the lowest slave of the house and take off the thongs, the, 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 the laces of his sandals. He is mightier than I, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to realize in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to prophets and to priests. 
But the prophet Joel had said that God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. He is saying that God is coming and the very Messiah is going to bring fulfillment and the Holy Spirit right there in the beginning of John's ministry. And people were coming and being baptized. And then Mark, with very little fanfare, and I read it for you, very little fanfare, it says this, and Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John. That's it. Like, what? Really? I mean, in Matthew and Luke, and even in John, they have this kind of talk about it. No, Mark, it's just Jesus was there and he got baptized. Well, that's rather unremarkable, isn't it? But if you begin to peer beyond just those words, you realize what Mark is saying. It's loaded with meaning. Jesus was there, and imagine this mob scene at the Jordan. And, and there's one guy who's doing the baptism, John. So everybody was waiting as they waded into the water. They're all in line. And where's Jesus? He's just in the line. No special treatment. Nothing. He's right there. Waiting his turn to be plunged into this bath. Now, why did he have to get ready? I mean, why did he have to repent? I mean, what sins did he have to confess? You know, Mark doesn't answer those questions. Not at first. But to understand fully what is going on here, we're going to have to fast forward to the end of his gospel, the 15th chapter of Mark and find ourselves at the cross. But just hold that moment because we have to finish what happens and then we're going to go to that moment at the crucifixion scene. So Jesus is there, Mark tells us. He's baptized. He comes out of the water, but then he said that the heavens were ripped open He uses the word schismata, a schism. There was a renting. It's like the garment that would be torn. It is a gash in the sky. And then through this gash, through this tear of the heavens, there's a voice and there's a dove. And the dove comes down and it looks like it's around Jesus. And the voice says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Heaven is descending to earth. There's a beautiful painting by a modern artist. His name is Daniel Bonnell. And he's done some wonderful modern uh, Christian art. And he was commissioned by the Cathedral of St. George in Jerusalem on this painting of the baptism of Jesus. And what I find so compelling about it is you can almost see the heavens being ripped open in the back. And if you look really closely, there's almost the image. I know it's hard to see on the screen, but there's the image of this dove. The heavens being opened. And then you can see the rays, the voice of God speaking. And notice Jesus. As he is emerging out of the waters, notice the position of his hands. They're stretched out. Like the image of what? The cross 
the crucifixion. Yes. This is how the journey of Jesus begins, according to Mark. Mark, who's just the most blunt gospel writer, he says, this is how it happened. He came up out of the water. The, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. There was a voice from the heavens. And so the Lamb of God begins his journey. A journey that would take him right outside of Jerusalem to a place called the Skull. But his beginning here in the waters is very significant because if you think about it, there's Christ, the water of the Jordan, the Spirit of God, and then the voice of the Father, the Word of God. The water, the Spirit, and the Word. Remember that. Now let's fast forward. Mark, who has the most blunt description of the crucifixion of Jesus, he doesn't even have some of the words that Jesus, you know, we have all these wonderful words of Jesus. No, this is, this is, how, this is how Mark describes the death of Jesus. He says this, Jesus uttered a loud cry breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last he said this man truly was the son of God the end is the beginning Interestingly, the Word is present there and the Spirit is present there. When it says that Jesus breathed His last, the words for breath is the same word for Spirit. You realize that? And then Mark also tells us that the temple was ripped. And guess what word he used? The same word he uses of the heavens being torn apart. There was this tear in the holy temple. Now you again have to understand the significance of this. In the holy temple, there was what's called the holy place and the holy of holies. And that was in this like rectangular building. And outside in the courtyard is where all the people worshipped. Okay, and where the, where the altar of sacrifice was. And then what would happen is the priests, the, 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 the uh, ministers of the Lord would go into the holy place. And it's there in that holy place that they would offer the incense up. Okay? And, the, the, and the, uh, you can see the candelabra there. And the bread of the presence of God where they would always have these loaves of God set out. Reminding the children of Israel and the ministers of the Lord of God's providing for his people, even as he did in the wilderness with manna. But then from the holy place, where, where also the incense was offered, as the people stood outside, the incense of God would go up and waft up and, and go out into the courtyard. There was another place, and behind that place, behind that curtain was called the Holy of Holies, Kadosh Kari'im. 
And the Kadosh Kadim was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, the most holy of all in Israel. And there was no light that would enter into the Holy of Holies. And only one day of the entire calendar year, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest of Israel would offer the lamb of sacrifice on the altar out in the courtyard, and all the people are there, and they are all confessing their sins, the high priest would take a basin of that blood, go through the holy place. The other ministers, the, high, the priests, would open the curtain only one time, and light would stream in. The high priest would go in and take this blood with a hyssop branch and throw it against the Ark of the Covenant, confessing the sins of Israel and his own sins and thereby making an atonement for the children of Israel. Only one day a week, only one day a week, one day a year would this take place. And here, at the death of Jesus, that temple that separated a holy God, the light of light begotten, from sinful humanity was torn. The same thing that happened at the baptism of Jesus. Here is the new beginning. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus that the curtain has been torn, that the heavens have been opened. You see, Jesus would speak about his coming baptism. Well, he was baptized by the Jordan, but he would also speak about a baptism that he would undergo. And what was that baptism? It was his death. And what Mark wants to make on the bookends of his gospel with this image of here's Jesus in the beginning and the heavens were opened and now Jesus dies and the holy of holies is opened that we can come home again. God is no longer separated from us. Heaven not only comes to earth in Jesus but we can now go to heaven. This is the new beginning. We start all over again. On this, uh, you know, Sunday of the baptism of Jesus, when you think about all that the Lord has done for us, and you see here our baptismal font. This is uh, taken at the consecration of our church as people were coming in. You know, part of the architecture of this very church was to remind us of how important baptism is to our life. And you know, honestly, I was baptized as a little baby. I was baptized a day after I was born. I don't have any memory of it. My memory only comes as my parents would remind me of it. Some of us were baptized when we were older, and we remember those moments. And so we tend to forget, and we tend to, like, become complacent. That's why the church in its architecture, in its old architecture, always had baptismal receptacles and everything, holy water, so that as you entered into the sanctuary, you remember who you are, a baptized child of God. And when you leave the holy worship, once again, 
The baptismal water is to remember whose you are when you go out into this world. Who are we, the children of God? Whose are we? We belong to our Heavenly Father as we pray our Father. Jesus taught us that. So on this Sunday, or Saturday, we need to just remember our baptism. And I can think of nothing better than just a look at Luther's small catechism. Would you take your hymnals out? Page 325. So find a hymnal. If it's not right near you, just reach over the pews. Get that hymnal, and uh, let's look at, on page 325, it's the sacrament of holy baptism. And there Luther, in four simple parts, teaches us the biblical understanding of baptism. And I just think it'd be good for us to remember all of this as we celebrate the birth, baptism of Jesus. So I'll read the questions, and let's all together read the answer. What is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's Word. Which is that Word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declares. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the Word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts this Word of God in the water. For without God's Word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the Word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is about new life. The very final words there is new life. 
And you know, Christians, this is, you remember how I started, resolutions, could we start all over again? Brothers and sisters, we do. We do. We started all over again in our baptism. When I was a little tiny baby, whenever you were baptized, and you know what? We start every time over again when we go to our Lord and confess our sins and receive forgiveness. Because you see, it's not the resolutions, it's not our intentions. We don't have enough power to do that. We can't change. But with God, we can because He forgives us. The power of forgiveness is the power of a second chance the power to do it all over again. And I just want to close with this thought. I, I know so many families, so many marriages, so many broken people who are desperately trying to repair things when the reality is all they have to do is go back to the cross, find forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, forgive others who have hurt them to start over again. But I don't want to be hurt again, Pastor. Well, as we live in this world, it's a sad reality. Will we be hurt? We will. But that's why we need to come back constantly to the cross. That's why Luther says that every day, through contrition and repentance, we should drown and, and, and put that old person inside of us to death and allow the new person to live before God. That's the gift of beginning again. The forgiveness that's given to us in baptism continues to be given to us in confession and is most personally given here at the sacrament of the altar. My body, my blood given and shed for you for what? The forgiveness of sins. We can start over in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.